Consummate Athlete seeks health, community, and adventure through movement. And here on the podcast, longtime endurance coach and kinesiologist Peter Glassford and author and cycling coach Molly Herford are helping you lead your best active, adventurous life. Every week, we talk with professional athletes, health and fitness experts, and of course, real-life consummate athletes. We're excited to have you along for the ride. Hello, hello. Welcome back. We are here. We are excited for another week of the Consummate Athlete Podcast and whatever else you have on the agenda. Yeah, it is kind of like perfect fall weather right now. It's got that like kind of almost tint of snow smell in the air right now. And it's yes, just Yes, I tasted uh, quite a, a, a hint of snow up on our escarpment here on the weekend. Uh, wow. I tend to only do my power tests on my bicycle on the snowiest of days. So indeed, I chose a snow, hail, rain, wind day and got a, a mild case of some frost nip, but away, away I Yikes. went. The numbers, they are decent. So <laughs> I persevered. I guess that's the test, right? Like that is my my zone I prefer is the like crazy days that, you know, sort of like wreck a lot of people. So I guess that's, that's why I test on those days, I guess. It's true. Yeah. And I mean, you did narrowly avoid that hailstorm that would have actually possibly rendered you unconscious. Well, so that's on the warm up to the, like the big day. I usually also get crushed in some sort of hailstorm. Usually it's rain on the day before. So that one I got rained on just a bit, but then I saw this cloud of darkness coming. It came. So I was circling town, rolled into the house really quick. And then indeed we had like a pretty severe, it wasn't a tornado here, but there was a couple of tornadoes that came and I kept saying going green and other twister references. It wasn't annoying at all. Uh, actually, I was recording a podcast while it was happening though. And I was trying to use the mute button as much as I can, but I'm pretty sure I, I want to see if anyone can catch which episode it is where that was happening because I feel like my voice gets a lot more nervous as I'm asking questions. What was that sound of a helicopter landing? Yeah. I, like, I was about to be like, uh, just so you know, our power might go out at any second. And it did, but after the call. So that was good. Oh, Twister's such a good movie. There's just so many good one-liners. Okay, uh, so... Going green is, is great, but there's like another one, like Finger of God or something. It's just this guy looks at this guy and he's like, it's the Finger of God. <laughs> just like... No, the best line is clearly where's the road rabbit. Where's the road rabbit is a good one too. Which, if anyone has ever adventured with Peter knows that it's, it's probably one of my <laughs> most used lines because, well, we end up off course a lot or yeah. off road. Apparently I was reading an article just recently about storm chasers, which has become quite big. Um, what would that be down in like Oklahoma and the, or what are they called? Like the mid, that's not Midwest. What would that be? Like the Southwest? South, the South, Southwest. Uh, tornado alley um and i guess no one drives through cornfields like that's just not a thing <laughs> why would you well that's when they're saying where's the road rabbit they're driving through a cornfield to get away from a giant tornado well, but no one does that like, i don't think that's a thing you do yeah well i mean i don't think most storm chasers are as incompetent as the ones in twister yeah i don't know i always just thought it was like strong strong like ram pickup trucks or something but i think yeah. it was like a product placement no, that was just straight up incompetence on the part of these tornado researchers. Just okay. Saying. Well, speaking Hot of <laughs> speaking of uh, hard people, you know, we're, we have a guest today and, and she has impressed me in many facets of life. But I, I met her, I think, at Transylvania Epic the first time and already knew about Celine. Celine Yeager is our, our guest today. I feel like you were going to build that up and have like a drum roll, but you kind of just. Yeah, I always it. ruin it a little bit, I guess. But uh, yeah, so she's just like she raced and she was doing all sorts of different stuff. Her husband, Dave, was promoting uh, the race at that time and did a fantastic job. It was a great 
week, I guess at that point. And yeah, she's just super like has done most things that are long and, and very difficult. The, the DKs and, and so forth, all the big gravel and races. And like Iron now. Man and all of that stuff. Yeah. Yeah. And then on top of that was the fit chick or is the fit chick. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, in bicycling. So you may have read, like, I recall this like years and years ago. Peter is like completely stealing my thunder right before we hit record. I was like, I just, I can't wait to talk about how I've been reading the fit chick columns for like 20 years. And then Peter just drops <laughs> well, right in with maybe it. Maybe I've been reading them longer. You have not. I remember the fit chick. <laughs> apologies to celine here uh for, for me celine is like an awesome guest just because i mean from like the start of my career in cycling i mean well hey we're from a really similar location she's pennsylvania but i'm new jersey but we're kind of like right across the river um but then also you know our careers have kind of followed similar trajectories i i'll say i walked in her footsteps a lot though because before her there weren't that many women writing about bikes Mm-hmm. And she was sort of one of the first, like, especially just the most visible ones that I can recall. Sure. Um, and she was racing and, but like, she wasn't, you know, she wasn't a pro roadie. She wasn't on like a super pro team. She was just this awesome woman doing all of these different events. So, I mean, if we're yeah. talking like people who kind of made me want to be a consummate athlete after reading, you know, one column about mountain biking and one column about Ironman and, you know, all of these things. Yeah, like, she certainly does a lot of the disciplines, but then also like, I think, does she have a strength training book? I could have probably done this research, but uh, she probably does I, because she is also one of the most, uh, um, voracious authors that I've ever yeah, met. Like she has yeah, so many books out. Actually, that's, most notably would be Roar probably it was a big one at least. I know a lot of our listeners, notable to our listeners is the book Roar with Stacey Sims. Yeah. And we've had Stacey on a couple of times. Um, but most recently she actually has put out one on gravel, uh, which is called the ultimate or gravel, the ultimate guide to the gear training and grit. You need to crush it. So that came out in 2019. It's very topical. Very gravel, topical. gravel is hot. Uh, so that's a big chunk of what we're talking about today is gravel. And I should note, we actually recorded this episode back in February, uh, pre-COVID. And I was saving, I had planned to put it out right before, you know, a few weeks before Dirty Kansas or something like that. And I ended up not putting it out just because with COVID, with all of the gravel races getting canceled, uh, it just seemed like a weird one to put out during the summer. Um, and, you know, we didn't really want to suggest that we thought people should be racing necessarily. Uh, so we think now is kind of a really great time to put it out because as people are sort of thinking toward their 2021 goals, starting to think about like, okay, what do I need to do to be ready for, you know, this 200 mile or 150 mile or whatever? Uh, we think it's actually a really awesome time to start thinking about that stuff. So yeah, I am super excited about it. So we have that. And then also she's recently, so the other reason we wanted to sort of highlight this one was that uh, Selena has come out with a podcast recently uh, on a topic that I think is important and is not discussed enough. Yeah. So she has a um, podcast called Hit Play, Not Pause. Uh, And I mean, it's it's all about women's sports and menopause, which I think is awesome. Like, I'm so glad that more people are talking about it. Obviously, it's something that I, I'm very interested in from like a longer term perspective, but not something I can speak to necessarily. Right. So yeah. it's really cool to to have more voices coming in that can talk about that. Since Yeah. And I know a few clients have listened to it and really liked it. So it's definitely worth checking out. Uh, there's an Instagram account too. Yep. Yeah. You could check that out if you're more yes. of an Instagram. And I don't know how you're listening to this podcast if you're not a podcast person, but it's true. God, or thank you, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> 
Uh, yeah, we will include links to all of those things in the show notes. Uh, if you want to get any of her recent books, uh, if you want to check out her podcast, if you want to just find more about Celine, you can find that over at consummateathlete.com. But without further ado, let's get into it. Enjoy this podcast with Celine Yeager. Let's get started. I mean, unless okay. you've been unless you've been living under a rock at this point, you probably people know who you are as a writer in the cycling industry. But what is your like thirty second elevator bio? And someone's like, so what do you do? <laughs> um, I have been bicycling magazines, quote unquote, fit chick for many many moons, longer than I think I can even remember 1990 something that tells you all you need to know um yeah so I um I write about health and fitness for bicycling as well as other outlets and I co-author books write my own books and just pretty much uh keep my wheels on the pulse of the cycling life I love it I think actually out of anyone I know you might be the only person who writes more books more frequently than I do that I'm like personally friends with. Uh, how I have to ask like first thing is just how how are you so prolific in the content that you put out? Um yeah, I I don't have much of a choice really. <laughs> you know like uh, you know sometimes you have this idea for a book and they're like great, we have it on the schedule. We have a whole. Can you do that in 4 months? And I'm like, well, no, <laughs> but is also that, yes. Is that is that a good answer? Can I say no? Um, you know that I mean, but that's real. That just happens, mm-hmm. and I just you know I'm I'm very fortunate, Molly, in that I uh, I can make my own schedule, and uh, unlike yourself, who's on the road and dealing with a lot of the travel and all of that, I don't I don't travel quite as much for my work per se. I travel for events, but not as much as you do, you know, spanning time in all know. the things that you you're, do. You're at I don't, like every I don't event. Know. You race so much too. <laughs> I should, yeah, we should have added that too. You've also raced pretty much every discipline. And again, you're one of the only women I know who's raced as many different disciplines as I have. Uh. <laughs> that I, yeah, I've, I've been out there a long time. That is true. Uh, yeah. And yeah, I don't know. I mean, I, I don't, I, to be, to be blunt, I have, I'm a little two dimensional. I ride my bike and I write. Uh, the house is a disaster. You know, I mean, I'm a good mom, I think, but everything else has gone to hell, and that's just the way it is. Because oh I, I, at some point, I decided that I was okay if my epitaph was not she had a, an immaculate home. You know, like I'm okay. I'm okay with that. I love it. So, I love it. Yeah. And I will say, I actually, of all of the things that I've ripped out of magazines over the years, I have at least five Fit Check articles from like back when you had like short hair in your bio, oh, yeah. like. We're talking oh my God. Yeah, early 2000s. It might have like, even been red. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like, red. yeah. Those were articles that I looked at when I first started writing. And like, look, I've, so you've kind of been my like, uh, un- unconscious mentor, we'll say. Oh, over, that means a lot to me. Thank you. Yes. Because <laughs> um, you know how it is. You're in this little vacuum and you're just sending things out into the world. Oh so my gosh, nice. yeah. You're like, wait, somebody read that? Real human beings who are like, hey, thank you. And you're like, you're welcome. Thank you. <laughs> totally. Um, okay, but let's talk about the the new book, Gravel, The Ultimate Guide to Gear, Training, and Grit. You Need to Crush It. Um, yep. So that's, that's one of Bicycling Magazine's uh, books that they put out. You're the author. Mm-hmm. It came out mm-hmm. just really recently, right? Very recently. It came out mid-October. Yeah. Okay. Very recently. About yeah. a month ago. So 
why why gravel why now what what got you into gravel too oh those are all good questions um (laughs) i mean why why let's start with why the gravel book now um because and maybe those things all dovetail into one another because i mean as as you probably know from knowing me and riding around here here being pennsylvania you know we we had events that were on some gravel forever you know hell of hunterdon has been around for a long time mm-hmm. you know we rides here the monkey knife fight like all kinds of stuff where we were just taking our road bikes you know on 23s on these roads because they're here and they were fun i mean not everyone thought they were fun but a lot of us thought they were fun um you know, but the, the not fun part of that was if they were wet, then your bike packed up and you didn't go very far. And, you know, flat tires were much more of a thing because everybody had tubes. And I feel like gravel is one of the things where the technology just kicked down the door. And that's happened pretty recently. You know, this is something that people work have been kind of into for a while. Dirty Kansas has been around for, for a while. Yeah. You know, I can't remember. 15, I can't give you the number off the top of my head, but it's it's been certainly more than 10 years, probably close to 15. Um, But it just wasn't as fun because you had like all those tubes with you. You had all that stuff with you. You know, disc brakes had not made their way onto road bikes yet. Tubeless had not made its way, you know, into the, into the mainstream. We had on mountain bikes for sure, but it's all this stuff is in the past five years. Mm -hmm. And I think that it has just opened these doors to this kind of like fun exploration, you know, and people are just like, yeah, that's, that looks really cool, you know, and, and the spirit of it is, is that it's uh, just going out there and just seeing where you can go on your bike. And when your bike will take you all those places without all the mechanicals, it's even more fun. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So writing the book though, like, so I, you know, I did cans, I've, I've done a bunch of these events and some of them like a grinduro, some of them are ending up like, you're ending up on single track. You're ending up on stuff like Iron Crossy kind of stuff where I was at this event and this is sort of what made me go, I should write a book. You know, I was at Keystone Gravel where a mountain bike would be right at home in a lot, a lot of those descents. And I got to the end of the day and somebody I've known a very long time sat down next to me with a beer and he's like, that was not fun for me. He's like, is that gravel? He's like, is that gravel? You know, he's like, I... And I was like, well, and then at a very similar event, the same thing happened where somebody's like, I did unpaved and I loved it. And then I, this is not what I had in mind. And, you know, the same people would go out to somewhere in the Midwest to be like, oh my God, because the gravel is so different. And it just occurred to me that if this thing is exploding and everyone's getting excited, like there's maybe some guidance wouldn't be a bad idea. <laughs> you know, like Because I think when you don't have fun at an event, it's because your expectation isn't matching what the reality is. Yeah. Like when absolutely. I went to Rebecca's private Idaho the first time, I don't know what I had in my head. I thought it was going to be smooth and fun, like scenic. And it was, the hard thing was hard, right? But I, for some reason, like it was way harder than I had in my head and I had less fun. And I was like, well, this is what happens when expectation doesn't match reality. Um, so I just wanted to like help people get an idea of what they're in for, how to know what they're in for, and then like how to have fun and be successful at it. Yeah. And I mean, the cool thing about gravel too is, you know, yeah, there are these events, there are these races, but then there's also your backyard. So getting comfortable with gravel is like basically opening up, you know, tons of new roads around, around you. 
Yes, I I say that all the time. Like I ride, I have an open and I'm an upper, and like I rode that this morning. Like that that has become my road bike because I have um, some G1 Twalbies on it. You know the all rounds, mm-hmm. and they roll really nice on the pavement. And if the pavement's crappy, I don't care because I've got these great tires. And I came like I did one of our paved climbs and a couple of those. And then I went over to the parkway, which is, you know, a cinder path. And they have like some fun little trails on that. And I did this whole ride on this one bike that just, yeah. I, yeah, I love that. It's funny. I was, I just got off the phone talking to someone about, um, there's, uh, the factor Vista is like a new all road bike, which seems to be kind of where bikes are going right now. And she was telling Mm -hmm. me, she's like, well, we can't call it a gravel bike because it only fits up to 35 C tires. And I was just like, uh, 35. Um, it's, it's, it's funny. I know we're, we're in this weird place and it's, it's, we're going to be in this weird place, I think for a while (laughs) where now it's just like, okay, it does not have to be a drop bar mountain bike to call it a gravel bike. Thank you. You Oh my gosh. Especially like when you're used to elite cyclocross where they check your tire to make sure it's not wider than 33. 33. (laughs) Totally. Totally. But that's, yes. Um, she said I mean, it I like so apologetically. A lot She's of people like, oh, don't like the only term thirty-five, and I was like, thirty-five. Yeah. I've never ridden a thirty-five. <laughs> but when you start to ride forty to fifty, then all of a sudden, like thirty-three looks skinny. Like yeah. it's a very strange thing that happens to your head. Um, but I do think that we're going to find the the language. It'll change. I mean, it. You know, we're already seeing all road. Like, what does that all mean? Mm-hmm. You know, bike packing has changed things too. So, uh, yeah, I, the nomenclature is going to evolve, I think, as the bikes evolve. But yeah. We've and seen that in mountain biking too. Yeah, is it a trail yeah. bike? Is it an XC bike? Oh, it's kind of a trail XC bike. Is it an enduro bro? Hey, who knows? You know, oh, uh, my gosh. Yeah. I, I've actually gone back to my 29er hardtail from like, <laughs> from like 2012. I'm like, this, this works. You know what? Yeah, this, this works bad. It works now. But I, yeah, I think there's people, and I have that in the book too, that, you know, there's a lot, like you have to, it's easy to get sort of swept up in all the hype and, and end up with some buyer's remorse getting something that's more or less than what you're looking for. So it, it's a good idea to just sit down and go, okay, what am I really looking for a bike to do? Like, you know yes. what I mean? Yeah, yeah, exactly. And so let's, let's kind of, we could talk about bikes all day, but obviously yeah. fit chick here. I want to pick your brain on how to train for gravel, because I think that's, that's a total unknown other than ride a lot of gravel. Um, yeah, right. And a lot of people can't. Yeah, right? exactly. Like a lot of people actually can't. I think, um, I think the things, the things that I tried to key in on are the things, again, the things that people are not prepared for that they haven't thought about that are going to surprise them once they get out to a place like that. Mm-hmm. You know, like a lot of people, I know people who have trained for Dirty Kansas and they they think they've done all the right things, you know, like doing these very long pavement rides because that's what they have and I get it. Yeah. But um, but maybe they did a lot of hills and, the, and the, you never coast in Kansas, right? So, I mean, you have to prepare for you're going to be going slower. So you're going to be out there longer. There's, you know, there's more rolling resistance. It's going to be just, even if it's just a little bit harder, that really adds up, yeah. you know? So I, I, I like a lot of tempo threshold intervals, just steady state in a bigger gear. I mean, you're going to be cranking a bigger gear. 
because you're trying to, it's like mountain biking, you know, you can spin so much, but you need to get over stuff. So you need a certain amount of momentum to carry yourself over this chunky terrain, Mm -hmm. you know, and all that just changes. It shifts the way that you need to approach your training. So you have the endurance, the muscular endurance, the stamina, you know how to eat, you know, putting your food, getting your food out of your pockets and on the front of your bike. There's a reason that people do that because it's really hard when the ground is constantly moving and you're moving over it to be fishing things out of your pockets, you know, and all of a sudden you haven't eaten for three hours and now you're going to be in a lot of trouble. Yeah. Yeah, the uh, the handlebar bags have kind of made like a, a comeback. I'm gonna say, when yeah. I was coaching a camp all last February in Girona, and like I started making fun of all the kids because they all had handlebar bags. And by the end of camp, I was like, "Where can I get one of these handlebars? Where can bags? I get one of those handlebar bags? <laughs> That's a really good idea. Really smart pulling idea. Pulling things conveniently out of their handlebar bags. Yep. Meanwhile, like I'm the dork with like the packed like huge pockets and like. Look super it's, lame. It's, it's a nightmare. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I did, I did that. It, uh, I did steamboat, and that was the one thing I kicked myself so many times. I'm like, why didn't I have? Because I did a test on those bento box style bags, so I have literally, I have like a dozen of them, mm-hmm. and I didn't even bring one. <laughs> And I and the and it was so hard to get into my pockets and all day I just kept looking at the empty space on my top tube, going, yep. You're an idiot. <laughs> yep, like it would be so much, much easier if you just had all your food right there. <laughs> yes. And oh, so where do you fall? And I'm gonna just like skip back to gear for a second. How do you where do you fall yeah, in like the camelback type situations for gravel events? Well, I really I throughout my whole mountain biking career, I tried to avoid camelbacks as much as humanly possible because I hate them I I know that some people I hate them I'd rather carry water on my head than on my back I really (laughs) really hate them I even like racing cape epic I'm like do I need a pack and I'm trying to like shove yeah I mean I just and you know yes I did but anyway um but I will say and nobody's paying me to say this the chase vest things the camelback chase vests are game changers Peter is obsessed it's game changers And I don't use that word lightly, but like you can access all your pockets. It doesn't, it's not that heavy. The water sits high. It's also like distributed properly. So I don't feel like throwing it off the side of the mountain, like two or three hours into my day. Those I like quite a bit. And for anybody who's like, oh, I think I need, I'm like, use one of those. Yeah, that's, it's funny. Peter switched to that. I just got one because he's been coaching a bunch of things where he's like, you know, he needs a first aid and like everything else in his pack. Right, right, and he was just right. like, oh my God, the chase vest is the first time he's found a pack that he's like super happy with. And same thing. Yeah. I'm the same way. Pack haters, uh, Bobby Lee here at Bicycling said the same thing. Like anybody who's a pack hater, I haven't talked to a single pack hater who have tried that, who weren't like, yeah, that's pretty good. That's cool. The only thing that I still have trouble with, Molly, is I like dead soldiers. Like, I like knowing how much water I've drank. Ooh. Like, I like those empty bottles. You know what? And Agreed. I have a hard time judging. I mean, it's nice because you can drink and I get it. It's easier. But I, you know, you're sitting there like squishing your back going, did I drink? Is it still there? How much yep. <laughs> How much do I have? I don't know. Um, that's my only thing that I don't love about those. But yeah, no. you know what? I completely agree because like I wear them for run it or for like the fifty k's I've been doing, and my feeling of like weight is terrible. Like I have no sense of weight. So like by right. the end of the race, I have finished races where I still have half of it because in my head I was drinking a ton. Yeah, but no, I could totally see that happening. Yeah, reality, not really. 
Um, so what about as far as like strength training and anything like that? Is that helpful with gravel? Cause I know like, you know, you and I can talk all day about cyclocross and mountain bike and the need to have a, you know, solid upper body and core for that. But what do you think with gravel? I, I think, I think you do for gravel too. Um, because your upper body is absorbing a lot of chatter, mm-hmm. you know, and it, it it's, it's going to fatigue it in the long term in a different way. I mean, yeah. I mean, unless you're doing some of the gnarlier things, you're not pulling your bars up, but you know, you're not doing the same as a mountain bike, but you are, you are pushing, like I mentioned before, you're pushing the bigger gear by and large and your upper body just needs to support more. It needs to support yeah. more weight. It needs to absorb more absorption or to absorb more um, vibration from the road. And I strength training helps with fatigue proof you quite a bit for that. Yeah. And those races and rides tend to be longer too, right? For like long. For long. Gravel usually is long. It's That's the hallmark of it. I mean, you can find, even if you do a shorter event, you're still 50 miles on gravel is not. And that's what I... You know, people are always like, oh, I guess I'll average like 15 to 16. I'm like, eh, try 12 to 14. Yeah. You know, like, let's start there. You're going to yeah. be out there longer. Yeah. Yeah. Assume you're going to be out there a while. And even actually the other thing I was thinking about is just like, man, the uh, the saddle issues that can come up from going over really bumpy terrain yes. and then the need to stand up pretty frequently and just honestly just try to like unweight your <laughs> your saddle area a little bit like yeah. that's going to be more on your core more on your arms like just trying to give your butt a break yeah no and that's that's real that is real i've you know some shorts that you think are your favorites may not be your favorites <laughs> when you're out there. You know, nothing is going to save you from Kansas. I'm just going to be honest. <laughs> There's nothing, no amount of anything. You're going to come out with some scars. Yeah. But, um, but, on, but on regular, even, you know, not things that are quite that epic, it's still the chain that you're more likely to have chafing. So even if you're not, and I'm not really a big uh, chamois butter person. I don't use a lot of chamois cream, but for gravel stuff, I, I'm, I'm a little more careful because you just, you're shifting more. You just, there's a little more of that rubbing that can, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And would you just stick with your like normal road saddle or would you actually like switch up your saddle for gravel or go straight the saddle? I have the same saddle. Um, I don't tend to be super particular with saddles to be quite honest with you, but, um, I haven't, I run the same saddle on the road that I run on the cross bike that I run on my gravel bike. I have a different saddle on my mountain bike, but that's only because my mountain bike came with a different saddle. <laughs> yeah. I think, uh, I think when you're in the position you and I are, where we've like demoed so many bikes and had to review so many bikes, like you pretty much have to be saddle agnostic in order to be able that to do true. that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, it has to be a really, and I won't even say bad. It'll just have to be a, a saddle that really, really doesn't work for me. You know, like, and yeah. there are, there have been a, there've been a handful over the years where I'm like, that is just not happening. Yeah. Um, but yeah. Yeah. So as you were putting this book together, was there anything that like really kind of stuck out, like jumped out at you as like, Oh, whew, that, that is a good point. Even a point that you thought of, but like hadn't maybe clicked with it before. Cause I know that's, that's how I've felt about as I'm writing books. I'm like, Oh, Ooh, I just made a, yeah. Did not actually think about that for my own training until I wrote it down as a thing someone else should do. <laughs> Oh, that's interesting. I've I've had moments that way, but you know, I can't say training wise that that happened as much in this book because I I've, I've just been so deep in it for so long. Mm-hmm. Um, but it did it did force me to 
I am not a huge gear person as far as like gear ratios and all yeah. that. Like I, I, that is just not my, it's not where my mind lives. You and I both. And I, I really did have to spend some time with that. And I did learn, you know, about like, okay, what does that mean to have a one-to-one ratio? You know, where like, you know, like, why is that important? And what, like how, you know, one by versus two by and just that it, I will say it clarified a lot for me. So like when I talk to people, I feel a little more intelligent in talking about like what kind of, you know, why they might want to look for certain gear ratios and what that means. Mm-hmm. And, um, yeah. I mean, I think that's where I was just like, okay, all right. Yeah, I get it. And I, yeah. like, it, it's, it's a little more, uh, it's, it's helped me when I'm making my own decisions, quite honestly, about what, what I want on my bike. I mean, I was, I was running a one by, on my upper, um, and it was fine racing across Michigan and it was even fine in Kansas, but riding anything here, it, it's just, I was always looking for a gear I didn't have because yeah. it was just, the jumps were just too big for the, especially if you ride a lot on road too. It's just, it was just, the jumps were too big to, to stay with a pack and to be comfortable on long rides, mm-hmm. uh, with really variable terrain. Yeah, I, I agree. Um, okay, so I want to kind of walk through like from start to finish, like when someone is like, okay, I want to do a gravel race. Mm-hmm. Any tips on how to kind of pick your first race and then even like what what to study about that race, like what matters in terms of preparation? Right. Um, okay, th- yeah, there's a couple things. I would say where is the race is really, really important because uh, the thing with gravel that is very unique from road. And I would even argue mountain bike to a large extent, though, not everywhere. I mean, some mountain bike goes this way too. Like take a, take an, take an event like land run. If it's dry, that race is 1000% different than if it's wet, Mm -hmm. because a lot of those roads are clay. I mean, the red, and it's just like that that changes your whole day that changes everything you might be pushing your bike a lot like these are things you really need to know yeah like what is the terrain really like and I don't just mean is it hilly I mean like what is the dirt like what is the gravel like I mean there's places that you know when I went out to steamboat again I mean sometimes I've been caught off guard like back here I'm not used to riding on a lot of pea gravel I'm not used to gravel that is squirrely yeah you know, and I was just like, oh, okay, deep breath. <laughs> like, yeah. this is how I need to ride. So it's just good to have that stuff in your head, like to try to get as much intel as you can on like what the action, and you can just look at pictures. Sometimes. I was going to say, it's so like, easy. Sometimes to if do you go now. to the website, yeah, and just look at pictures, you can see like, what are people riding? Like, look at their bikes. Mm-hmm. Like, what are they riding? How do they have them set up? Like, what does that ground look like? Yeah. What is the temperature going to be like? Are you at elevation? I mean, there's all these things that come into play with these gravel rides that, that just can really make or break you. You know, yeah. like, like, just like do a little homework and really look at it. Not just distance, not just how much you're going to be climbing, but just all that other granular stuff, because that granular stuff is what makes the difference Yeah, for in sure. a, in a gravel event, yeah. for sure. And definitely as you're looking at pictures, looking at like a couple years worth, because like you yeah, said, it's a couple of, very some worthwhile, because they can look very, very different. different. <laughs> yeah, they can look, they can look very different. And then just... You know, I'm a huge uh, proponent of trying to get as specific as you can. I mean, I recognize that you can't, you know, I mean, when I was training for Kansas here, we don't really have gravel roads like that here. I mean, we just don't. And I wasn't going to travel out there, but I did put my bike together like I wanted to ride it. 
and I was going to went out for a long ride. I think that's super important on gravel. Um, because as I discovered, I went out to Jim Thorpe, which is, as you might know, like just a lot of Jeep roads and like Rocky kind of stuff. Ooh, yeah. And I started bombing down one of those descents and everything flew off. Like, <laughs> my, my bottles flew off. My little thing, my little bag that my saddlebag just came loose. I was like, okay, all right, that's not going to work. You know, it's just like a good idea to, because you see people do it all the time and I get it. Like you get out there and you're like, oh, okay, when I get there, I'll just do da, 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 da. Make sure you do it before you go. It's yeah. like really important. That is, that's such a good point. The stuff blowing off the bike. Cause yeah, you wouldn't think about it if you're just riding it on the road and like, okay, totally, totally. ready for this. This is going to be totally fine. Yeah, everything's ready. <laughs> um, and then all of a sudden everything is flying off your bike. And yeah. You're like, okay, that, this is, this is bad. Yeah. Yeah. And so how... How far out would you start training for a specific event? Like if you're, you know, say like endurance trained, but like not mm-hmm. necessarily gravel prepared. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, I, I, I usually qualify that as like, can you can you do a three hour ride? Is that in your wheelhouse? Is that the kind of thing that you're like, oh, that's fun, you know, to go through a three hour ride? I mean, I think if you trained to do that kind of a thing, three, maybe four, you're, you're, you're pretty good to go. Um, you don't. If you're going to do something, let's just say 100 miles, like Dirty Kansas is another animal. I'll go there in a second. But like for for like an unpaved or a land run or anything that's in that 100-mile range where you're looking at um, eight hours, you know, probably on the mm-hmm. bike, um, you know, I would say for sure three months. Like if you're, if you're devoted, you know, yeah. I mean, if you're just going to like work yourself up and make those long rides on the weekends, I think you can get away with three months. Four is ideal, obviously, you know, or like a longer run up is good. But I think if you put your mind to it, you can definitely do it in like mm-hmm. 12 to 16 weeks. Yeah. Um, and how many gravel races would you do in a season kind of in an ideal world? Because like to me, you know, A, they're long and then B, they are they're long. super hard on your body, potentially super hard on your bike. Um <laughs> Yeah, I don't think it's like, you know, I mean, you and I both done Ironman, right? It's not like that. Yeah. It's not, the recovery isn't, I don't, I honestly don't find the recovery even as hard as like the NUE kind of stuff, the hundred milers of that, yeah. because it's not as abusive as like a mountain bike race necessarily. And it's not like running a marathon at the end of all that other stuff. Yeah. Right. <laughs> so you can, you can definitely get away, um, with doing more gravel events. And, and if you're not drilling them all, you know, I mean, some of them you can just go, I mean, at Unpaved, I wasn't racing that thing this year. I stopped and ate pierogies and like, you know, ch- chilled out at the rest stations. And then it's just a big day on the bike. And that yeah. you recover from that differently than the whole stress of lining up and drilling. You know, I mean, that's just a whole different, that's mentally more fatiguing too. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think you can you can do quite a bit more gravel events. I can tell you that after doing like four or five in a row at the end of this year, I was fried. I was done. Like yeah. that was my, I was just like, okay, I'm done. Um, but yeah, I think that's a really individual thing. But I do think that you can recover from them. And that's kind of the, the fun of them is that you can recover from them a yeah. little faster. Yeah. yeah. And I think like unlike any, pretty much any other cycling event other than like, I guess, Fondos that I can think of is like, they really accept if you're just kind of in it to ride it. So if you are having a totally. crappy day, you can always just dial the intensity way down. And I would pickles. say that, <laughs> oh, a hundred percent. And I would... 
I would venture to say that that the majority of people in those events are they're not necessarily partying in the back kind of thing, but a lot of people are there just to take in the day. I mean, that's yeah. that's part of it. They have no um, no great aspirations for time. Obviously, they don't want to get pulled off the course. They want to make the you know the time cuts. Yeah, but um, you know most people are not reluctant to take off their helmet, sit down at the aid stations, have a sandwich, you know, just like or stop and take a couple of pictures along the way or do whatever. And that's you and no, no one is looking at you like, what the hell are you doing? Like no one is. Yeah. You know, that's, yeah, that's Ooh. fine. Yeah. It's different. I mean, sure. There's a pointy end and there's the people that want to like do their own PR and stuff, but there's equal numbers of people who are just there to just like be in a cool place and ride their bikes. Yeah. 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 Okay. We have to talk about Kanza because obviously when you talk about gravel, that is sort of like the, the it's a Super Bowl. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Just, yeah. So 200 miles on gravel, usually really hot, always terrible. Um, what does getting through it come down to? And I'll mental. I'll say, that's what mental. I was going to say. My, my, my it is so, like, yeah, it's mental. It is, it's really hard to describe to people how hard it is. I, I have a I I think people like sort of have an idea and then they get out there and then they really understand because it 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 is I felt like it was harder than either of the Iron Men I did. What is because, it about it that's so just soul crushing? Because you're on you're not you're not changing anything. So you're looking like at Iron Man, you're in the water, you're on your bike, you're running. I mean, these are very hard things, but you're changing things. Uh maybe you're coasting. You just don't coast in Kansas. You like I. There are times when I was pedaling down a hill and going 11 miles an hour. You know, like it was because of the headwind, and it's it. You just never stop pedaling over very difficult terrain, mm-hmm. and that is it. Takes so much more, and the prairie it gets hot, and you're exposed, and your stomach. Everybody's stomach goes south at some point, and that becomes very difficult. Like trying to feed yourself. Um, and you just go, there's no avoiding the dark tunnel. There's no avoiding the tunnel. Like it might be a short tunnel. It might be a very long tunnel, but everybody goes through it. Mm-hmm. There's, there's no way to the end, but through. Um, yeah. And it's just, I mean, I mean, that's why it's got a lot of attrition every year. A lot of people don't make it every year. I mean, it's also super hard on bikes. I've never yeah. had everything rattle loose like you <laughs> for the same reason. Like my battle cages, I never, I know no matter how many times I tighten them, like something's going to rattle loose and I have yeah. to stop and tighten it. Um, but yeah, it's just, it's, it's, uh, it's just very, very hard on you. And you just have to go into it with that mindset. It's such a strange place because the first, I've done it twice and the first hundred miles both times just fly by. And then everything goes very strange in the second hundred miles. <laughs> where you're just like, <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's, uh, and that's what makes it what it is. Yeah. Like, it's, it's, you know, it's a unique challenge. It is very, um, and that's what, that's what people are drawn to, you know, and, and it's oddly, it's oddly beautiful. I, I thought that I would be bored and boredom was never the thing, yeah. you know, it's, it's just, it's captivating. The prairie is very captivating in its own way, but it's, it's extremely hard. Mm-hmm. Was the first or second time harder for you? Do you think? Second time. Second time. <laughs> is that because you yeah. knew what you were getting into or? Um, and also cause I pushed it a little harder. Like the first time I did it, I, I had no idea what I was getting into. And, uh, I had a, I actually had a really pretty good day. I ended up on the podium 
Um, I went through the tunnel, but it wasn't, it wasn't terrible. Uh, the second time I was in the lead until I was very much not in the lead. <laughs> I was, uh, yeah, I just, it was like, it was, I, I rarely have it an experience where the lights go out, but I had an experience where I was feeling great. And then it was like suddenly somebody just flicked a switch on me. Mm-hmm. And I, that that's very unusual for me, but it happened out there and it was awful. <laughs> it so was what do you do? What do you do when awful. that happens? Well, I, I, I threw up off the side of my bike is what I did. Um, right, and right. then I <laughs> felt a little bit better for a moment or two, but then you just, you know, I mean, that's where it's mental. Like you just have to be like, okay, what do I need? Like, for, I, forward progress, take care of yourself. So I, I try not to stop because stopping is not getting me anywhere, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, so slow it down, look around, like just self-talk is very important. And just, you know, just know, like, just just pedal. You're going to get there if you keep pedaling. Mm-hmm. So I just, I, that's all it kind of is, is, is remembering that no matter how good you feel, which I did not remember in this situation, or how bad you feel, it won't last. And I was feeling very good, feeling like I'm going to have the day of my life. And that just did not last. And mm-hmm. with those long endurance rides, you have to remember that always. Like, you have to always stay within yourself. Yeah. Um, or it, you're, you will be forced to stay within yourself. <laughs> yeah. Um, as far as food goes for something like Kanza, how do you figure out what to eat? Because most people aren't going to be doing like a 14, 15 hour ride heading into I it. do encourage people. I always, it's kind of like marathon training. I'm a, I was always a big proponent of telling people, please do a 20, at least a 20 mile run before your marathon, because I think you need to see that number. I think you need to know what happens in that once you push past that point, because that's where everything goes sideways. And I agree, I feel like, especially gut-wise. Like, yes, I'll be and totally that's fine. Yeah, I'm good for the first, like, three hours of running, but you hit that, like, 20 miles or, like, three-ish hours, and, like, Well, I feel like eight hours is, is that on the bike. Exactly, yeah. You know, like, so, like, everything's all good, and then all of a sudden you cross that threshold, and... It all of a sudden it cannot be so good anymore. Um, That is so individual and you have to, and that's why I think that you do need to practice during training. And I think, and I'm equally guilty of this. So many times we do not truly practice our nutrition. We think we are, but we don't. Yeah. People, people think that they're practicing their nutrition, but often they're not really practicing their nutrition because they'll go on all kinds of training rides and never really eat because they don't feel they have yeah. to. Like it's a three-hour ride. They're like, eh, I don't really need. But you're not training your gut. You're not training your gut. And like do do some really – I mean, yes, you're going to have to take a day and just practice this. Maybe two days. How are you going to eat? How is that sitting with you? Don't stop. You know, like if you don't plan on stopping in your event, don't stop. Mm-hmm. You know, don't, because when you stop and you rest, you're giving yourself that chance to digest and stuff. If you're not going to do that in the race, don't do it when you're training because it's a whole oh, different a point. It, it is. And it, 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 you think it doesn't really matter, but man, it really does matter. It mm-hmm. makes a huge difference. So, you know, I always like tell people to practice that and myself personally, and it changes. Like, if, is it hot? That's different than if it's cold. That's different than if it's in between temperatures, right? But, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, I, I play around with liquid nutrition because at some point it's hard to eat that much. So, you know, sometimes like a, 
a beta fuel or a Morton's or any of those things that have the heavy calorie loads that you can tolerate. You have to practice and see if you can tolerate them. Mm-hmm. Real food at some point, because your gut's not going to want any of that. You know, I mean, I talked to Yuri, who's with Goo, and he's like, yeah, I take a lot of gels for a long time. But then at some point, I need a hard reset. And I have a sandwich and I have some water and just like, it's, it takes a lot of trial and error. And mm-hmm. the only way to do it is to do it because everybody's gut is different. Your gut is trainable to a point, but you really, really, really need to practice it. Like truly. Yeah, no, I completely agree. And it's funny because I remember back to when I was first training with the Rutgers team, we'd go out and do Sunday centuries and we'd do a coffee shop stop. And so mm-hmm. for like a year after that, I thought a um, hundred mile ride was actually really easy because we right. had that like 45 minute stop. Like I was like, I've never had a gut issue on the bike. I don't know what everyone's like complaining about, you know, 75 miles into Ironman. I'm like, oh, this is what everyone was complaining about. <laughs> right. Because you didn't have that nice little rest and digest moment exactly. in, in the middle of it. It's just, it makes a big difference. And, I, you know, it's funny. I was talking to Alan Lim uh, about like ultra runners, which you'd probably be interested in. And he's like, sometimes the most successful people actually do that. They're like, they just sit down and eat yeah. because it saves them that hour at the end where they're just like shut down because their gut's not working with them anymore. Yeah. You know, so that it, if you do it enough, you, you, I think you can, you can figure it out for yourself. And that's not to say that things won't go sideways at some point, because that part of it, I feel like it's a crapshoot. Sometimes it's just not going to work and you, it could be the moon. Who knows? You're not going to. Totally. It, yeah. Yeah, I mean, and I'll just throw it out, especially for women, like, we've got cycles I was just gonna that all the same sink thing. in, like... And that changes things. It I does. mean, your, when your blood plasma is shifting because of your hormones and thermal regulation is harder, that makes all of it change. You have to hydrate differently, and it's a thing. You have to take more carbs, and it, it does. It changes. It yeah. makes it harder. Yeah, for sure. Um, awesome. And then... I guess last last question is really just like, what's what is your like, uh, what was your like ultimate gravel moment? Like, what is your like best moment that you can think of in a gravel race that you've had? Well, I would have to say getting on the podium at Trudicans was probably you can't really my beat ultimate. That. <laughs> yeah, that was that was very exciting, and I was over the moon. So that that might have been it. But I, but honestly, like. I think Kansas might might be one of my best that Kansas might be one of my best moments, but not necessarily for that reason. It's just it sounds so cliche, but it's it is the event where I really got it, where I really understood what gravel was all about. Mm-hmm. You know, I had done a lot of things before that. I had done um Iron Cross and you know Southern Cross and you know all the gravel s- sort of sector series here, which are like the spring classics and some stuff like that. But before I, I went out to Kansas that first time, I was I didn't fully understand. Like and then after I did that event, I totally, totally got it. Mm-hmm. Like I was like, okay, this is what when people talk gravel, this is what it means. This is how it it's just like a different vibe. I mean, it's just like this it's sort of like the whole mountain bike community is different from everything else. Like the gravel community, it is very familial. Um yeah, I just so that would that would be my aha moment where I was like, all right, this is this is I get it, and this is going to be a thing, and indeed it has become quite the thing. Yeah, oh, I love it, and we're gonna have to have you come back on because I still have so many follow up questions about actually Roar, the book that you had out in 2016 with Stacy Sims, and it's 
It is. I'm so. It took that that book like was a slower roll out, but I love that it has gotten the attention that I knew. I knew like when that when I did that book, I was like, this book is going to change things, and then it kind of didn't. I was like, what is going on? And then finally, like it picked up steam, and now it's. Like I was just in the Wall Street Journal and I'm just like, this is great. Like so this is good. exactly oh what I gosh. thought it should be. Yeah. yeah. So I really want to have you back on to talk about all things that. So great. sometime very soon for sure. Cause yeah, I mean, I've read it probably five times now. I still, that's awesome. I am consistently going to it and like searching for words when I like need to reference something quickly and it's, it's just so good. So yeah, super excited to talk about that. But let everyone know where to find your new book, Gravel. At the easiest place is honestly Amazon. Um, it's I know, there. Right? Everyone knows it. Just click. I mean, yes, you could go to the, like, there's a dedicated page in Hearst. You can do that. But I, I'm just going to be, go to Amazon. It's just as simple. Yeah. yeah. And where can everyone find you on the interwebs? Um, they can find me. I'm at, uh, I'm fitchick3 at uh, Instagram and Twitter. And I've got a Fit Chick Celine Yeager Facebook page. And my content is on con- Contently. It's a Celine Yeager at Contently. Oh, amazing. Thanks so much for tuning into the Consummate Athlete Podcast. If you enjoyed this episode or any of our past episodes, please do us a huge favor. Leave us a rating or review wherever you listen to podcasts. It really helps us bring on, you know, great new guests. And yeah, we'd also love to hear from you. You can find us on the interwebs um, at consummateathlete.com, at consummateathlete on Instagram. uh, And I am at Molly J. Herford on Instagram and Twitter. And Peter is at Peter Glassford. Thank you so much for tuning in and we will see you next week. Dear cycling friends, we accept the fact that we have created the premier gravel and road racing podcast. And we don't think you're crazy to ask us who we think we are. You see us as you want to see us in the simplest terms, in the most convenient definitions. But what we found out is that each one of us is a hobby blogger, a gravel pro, and a curious newbie. And you can find us on the Wide Angle Podium Network. Does that answer your question? Sincerely yours, The Grodio Podcast.